Today's workplace podcast disclaimer, JT Wilson. This podcast is intended to provide general information about various recent developments in employment law and human resources best practices. Nothing in this presentation or in the comments of Ms. Johnson, Ms. Shannon, or any guest should be considered as the rendering of legal or other professional advice, and it is not directed at any specific cases or circumstances. Listeners are responsible for obtaining the necessary advice about their specific situations from their own counsel. These materials are intended for educational and informational purposes only. The presentation and these materials represent the opinions of the participants and not those of their law firms or companies. No part of these materials may be printed, photocopied, or otherwise reproduced, recorded, or stored, or transmitted in any form and by any means, electronic, mechanical, or otherwise, without the prior written permission of today's Workplace Podcast. Welcome to Today's Workplace, a podcast created to keep employers current on the latest employment law trends while providing proactive solutions to the everyday issues arising in today's rapidly changing workplace. Is your business prepared for today's workplace? Let's find out with your hosts, Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. Welcome to today's workplace. Thank you for joining us for a discussion about some very interesting developments that have been taking place in the post-pandemic workplace. Today, we are very excited to welcome to our show, Patrice Borders. Patrice, it's such a pleasure for us to sit down and talk with you today about leadership and its role in achieving business success. But before we dig into today's topic, can you start by giving us a recap of your very successful and exciting career journey from your days as an employment attorney to your current work as the principal of a successful workplace and leadership coaching firm that has worked with many organizations to help the organizations and individuals develop resonant leaders, collaborative teams, and inclusive workplace cultures? Absolutely. And it is a pleasure and an honor to be here with um, both you, Barbara and Belinda. So yes, my origin story, let me start there. I am at the end of uh, my 21st year in business under the name of Prevention Strategies, LLC. And I started Prevention Strategies really to give space for me to bring forward my work as an employment lawyer in the space of you know, employment law and labor law, and the work that I had been doing around human capital work in the space of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And to be completely honest, we at the time were just calling it diversity. We had not evolved to really explore the expansiveness of how we really needed to talk about it. And so prevention strategies really became an answer to a compelling question that kept rising up in me, which was around why. Why are we having such difficulty helping people see how their words might be inappropriate, the impact their words might be having on others, how they might be making others feel excluded? And as I kept going to that why, I landed on emotional intelligence and the skills that we might have referred to as soft skills, which of course we know now 
are really those hard, necessary skills for how we interact effectively with others. And so prevention strategy became the answer for me to bring forward more emotional intelligence to the people I was coaching, the organizations I was providing strategy consulting to, and the facilitated learning experiences I was creating. And that really has been the anchor. And I'm thrilled and excited that it's been 21 years. And I think this might be the first public place I'm sharing this, but Prevention Strategies, the name will always be there because it gave me that first place to bring together that passion. But as we have all maybe experienced, you go in a closet in that favorite whatever and you pull it out and it's like, oh, it just doesn't fit the same way. And so the name Prevention Strategies, it's always going to be there, as I said, but I think to really have that outward facing expression of what I do, I needed something else. So in 2023, I will be doing business as Amplify EI. So Amplify Emotional Intelligence. That sounds really good. Can you tell us a little bit more about before you established prevention strategies, what you were up to? Yes, absolutely. So as I said, I um, really cut my teeth as a lawyer practicing in the space of employment law. And so I did a lot of work around sexual harassment prevention training. And of course, that was a thread that I pulled forward in a very proactive way in the work that I was doing under prevention strategies. And actually, when I first left the law firm practice, I joined a consulting firm. And that consulting firm focused on diversity actually grew to be the largest diversity consulting firm in the space and was purchased by Corn Ferry. And so I had an opportunity to learn from some of the um, leading thinkers who were really doing the cutting edge creative things, because as you can imagine, most of the requests that came to us were new and novel. And it was, can you help us do this? Can you you know, create a solution? Can you, you know, help us understand how to retain talent, how to make sure that individuals feel connected? And so a lot of what we were saying yes to, you know, took us to a space of creativity, innovation, and collaboration. So it was really a wonderful space for me to learn not only how to provide consulting, but how to do it in an empathetic and a curious and connected way as well. That's great. Well, so much of your evolution from employment attorney to a workplace coach focuses on emotional intelligence as a key ingredient for successful leadership. So can you explain a little bit more about emotional intelligence and why it's so powerful in workplace settings? Okay. So Belinda, you're talking my love language now when you ask me to talk about emotional intelligence. All right. So when I think about boiling it down so that it's crystal clear what it is and the impact that it can have, I believe emotional intelligence and, you know, oftentimes you'll hear EQ or EI. I lean toward emotional intelligence. Sometimes you'll hear emotional quotient. But for me, EI really has two fundamental shifts that it invites to the human being, right? It enables us first to do that fundamental shift from being on autopilot to aware so that we can be fully present for what's happening. And then it also allows for the fundamental shift for us to move from simply reacting to something to responding. 
which embodies choice. And so when we are able to tap into our emotions and understand what they are and to be able to use that information, then we can show up more fully with our intentions. And that's more aligned with how we really want to show up. The definition that I use to talk about emotional intelligence comes from two of the original framers, Salovey and Mayer. And they talk about it in terms of really three things, that it is first our capacity to observe ourselves and to be able to monitor what is happening with us. And for me, that requires awareness, right? So that's the shift between autopilot to aware. And then there's the capacity to discern what we see and to offer some labels to it so that we have a more expansive vocabulary for expressing what we are really feeling. So am I tired? Okay, I might be feeling tired. Am I hungry or am I hangry or angry, right? To give some discernment to what is there. And then finally, the last part of their definitions about, do I take that information and use it? And that's where I say we are able to move from just reacting to choice. When we take that information in and we process it, And it helps to inform how we speak to each other, the behaviors that we exhibit, and just how we show up in shared spaces. That's really helpful. The term emotional intelligence gets used a lot, and it's helpful to have a common understanding of what it really means. Throughout your journey as an organizational coach, you've developed a very impressive model called the seven C's of emotional intelligence. And we'd really love for you to spend some time telling us what it is and how you use this model to help leaders by telling us what each of the C's means why it's and why it's important. Okay, absolutely, Barbara. And so this model has evolved through the years and it really is my philosophy and my approach to all the work that I do from one-on-one executive coaching to small group cohort coaching to the facilitated learning experiences I create for organizations to the keynotes I deliver. And so the first two C's in the model, center and comprehend, those are very intrapersonal. And this means that they really are actions we take to work on ourselves. And then the next four, connect, communicate, collaborate, and conflict, are interpersonal, meaning they really are actions we take to better relate to others. And so each of these first six C's, center, comprehend, connect, communicate, collaborate, and conflict, really help us to unlock what is needed to build, create, and sustain a culture of belonging. And the seventh C is culture. And so all of the seven are interrelated and mutually reinforce the behaviors that support belonging. But let me take each one individually and give a little more context to them. So centering. Centering in my mind is really the process of focusing the human brain on what is being experienced in the present moment. If I'm centered, I'm fully here and present. Because the reality is we can time travel. We absolutely can. So our bodies can be here in this chair, in this shared Zoom with both of you, but my attention could be somewhere else. My attention and my focus could be on the past, ruminating about something I cannot change, or in the future, worrying about something I have no control over. And then I miss out on 
what's happening here. And so with centering, it enables me to really be here because I know all of us have experienced being with someone and you think, are they really there? But they're there, but not there, there, right? <laughs> they're somewhere else. Yeah. You know, in the virtual world, sometimes we're able to mark that by the little click, 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 click we hear when we're on a Zoom and like, okay, somebody's doing something else. Right. Or the, the eyes are, you know, averting up or down or somewhere else. And we can also sense that when we're in the same room with each other and someone is picking up their phone and checking their text messages. But the reality is, if we're going to be here and aware, it requires us to bring some intention. And so centering is another word also that I use to describe being mindful as well. And not only does it ensure that we're present here for the conversation, to take in what really matters to the other people, being able to read the room, all of those things that happen when we're present. And it also helps us to eliminate the impact of bias. You know, so I'm fully seeing the person if I'm fully here. I never thought about that connection. That's a really, really good one that, you know, for all the years that I've been working in-house, I've never really heard, you know, that connection made, but that one is powerful. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you, Belinda. And so that's centering. And we we start with that. And so with many of my coaching sessions, I say, let's give ourselves a minute to arrive and I'll set the timer for a minute and I'll ask them to check in with themselves, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what's alive for them in their bodies. And let's set an intention for being fully here. And I usually have a hot cup of tea, but I was warm this morning <laughs> running around with my puppy. So I have a cold green drink this morning, but whenever I cup, whatever I'm, if it's a you know hot mug or this, I use that as a way to give myself that check-in to be here. And we can all find a, a quick micro shift or something to remind us, okay, are you here? And I'll share another methodology that I've created to help me with that as well. So centering is the first and really most critical one. And then we move to comprehend, which is that second C. And I like to think about centering as turning the flashlight on. I mean, I get inspired by Amishi Jha who has done a lot of research around attention. She's a neuroscientist. So I like to think of centering as turning the flashlight on and then comprehend the second C is us shining the flashlight on yourself. You know, so, hey, let me check in with how resourced I am to do this. What, what do I need to be fully present? Where am I right now? That also might be checking in and aligning with your values, your strengths, your opportunity areas. and then giving yourself a chance not only to know how you are connecting with you, but maybe also how others might be seeing you as well. So that comprehend gets to that self-awareness, which we know is important on both levels, that internal self-awareness and external self-awareness. And some of the leading research around self-awareness, Tasha Urich, who's done a lot of research based out of Harvard, says that most of us think we're self-aware somewhere in the 90 something percentile, but only about 10 to 15% of us actually are. So there's huge space for growth around our self-awareness. And sometimes it just takes like, hmm, let me check in with myself, which again is some of that fundamental shift I talked about from moving from autopilot to aware that helps us when we do that check-in. Yeah. So Patrice, um, forgive me, but I think this one's important also. And I want you to say it again for the people in the back. What does 
self-awareness look like? What does that look like? How does it show up? Yeah, I think we can all point to an experience that we've had where we have interacted with someone who was not exhibiting self-awareness, right? Because sometimes it's the contrasting of a definition that enables us to really understand what it is. So Belinda, you're making me think about a coaching experience I had where I was really brought in to coach a very, very senior executive who was exhibiting a career-limiting blind spot. They just could not really get connected with how they were making other people feel. Mm -hmm. They thought they had a wonderful sense of humor. But if you ask anyone, their boss, their peers, their subordinates, the humor was biting. It was condescending. You know, it was anything but like, you know, let me laugh with you, but more kind of I'm laughing at you. But just had a real blind spot around how their words and actions were being perceived by others. And what we know in the workplace is when we are operating like that with the disconnect on how we are making others feel, it breaks down the work. Work doesn't get done unless it's done with and through others more often than not. And if I'm not feeling comfortable around you, I leave not feeling good about myself when I interact with you, I'm going to avoid you know, connecting with you. And that impacts work. So through coaching, we really dialed up their capacity to be more self-aware. We dialed up their capacity to be more empathetic, which sometimes in basic terms translates into reading the room, reading the body language of others, you know, and having the capacity to do that effectively. Yeah. You know, one of one of the areas where I see this play out very often is in terms of perceptions of performance and how often an employee will be absolutely convinced that they are impeccable and they're dealing with a supervisor who doesn't want to give them the feedback, right? And so there's that disconnect. But just not being aware of the fact that maybe there are some things you can work on and some things that you could do differently. So that I see very often as being a major disconnect is the difference between someone's perception Mm -hmm. of how they are performing and the reality of how they're performing against the goals that have been, been set for them. Yeah. And so, Barbara, that's why I believe feedback is a huge key factor in gaining self-awareness, mm-hmm. um, the capacity to really ask for it, to see, hey, this is how I'm seeing myself. How do you see me? And I offer uh, generally an exercise that I call the three adjectives. Write down three adjectives that you believe describe you. Ask you know, several people to offer three adjectives and really look at the consistency or the congruency or the disconnects and explore that as a way to gain that self-awareness and that deeper clarity on really who you are and how you show up. So we covered two C's, center and comprehend. Yes. Yeah. So let's next. Okay. So now we are shifting from the intrapersonal to the interpersonal. And I start with connect. And for me, connect is about having that deep connection with those that you work with, those around you. And I'm reminded when I think about connect of a coaching experience where I was just so impressed with this leader who had such a deep connection with her team and asked, you know, how do you have such 
insight about your team members. What are you doing to, to support that? She said, I ask them what's happening in their worlds. I ask, I listen, I remember, and I follow up, right? And it was just that basic. And for me, really, it is a non-negotiable. If there are people that you work with and you don't know the name of someone or something that really matters to them, you're not doing the work. Mm. And that was the secret sauce of just connecting. And what we know is that relationship is a high currency in the workplace. If we have a good relationship, that's going to support us collaborating on things. That's going to support us navigating through conflict. That's going to support us having those difficult conversations. And just the example we gave, it's going to support us seeking and being open to and receiving feedback because underneath a solid connection is trust. So I know that you have my best intention at heart. I know that you're reliable, you're competent, and you care about me. And I think it boils down to sometimes just as that coaching client asking with curiosity and sharing, there has to be reciprocity in sharing your story. That's key. Yeah. All right. So then we move from connect to communicate and then communicate is sharing your unique voice and really having an empathetic ear to listen and hear the diverse voices around you. For me, it boils down to, do you really have the capacity to hear, see, and feel others? And that's how we have effective communication. And in the landscape that we're in, it's not just effective communication, but it's being empowered to have those difficult conversations or uncomfortable conversations. And I have a bit of a case study where I worked with a client who was described her situation as soul crushing, soul crushing. It just, mm. it's pains wow. me to eat it, right? Uh-huh. And when we got to the surface of what it was, she was saying yes to a lot of rudimentary work, basic work, work that did not challenge her, wasn't growing her. And she found it difficult to say no. And others around her were, and they were grabbing up some of the more exciting work. And she just felt like she was in this space where she was stalled. And what we uncovered was she had some real difficulty in having the conversation. And it was at the intersection of some of her own cultural pattern shaped by her upbringing, shaped by the way she was raised to think about the men who were in charge. So she was in a tech environment and very often found herself as the only female in the room. Mm. And she called through her upbringing to offer deference to the people in authority and to men. And, you know, that was the majority of the people in authority. And so we really unpacked what was at the core of what was holding her back. And that was a bit of this identity question. She knew the basics. I just want to say no. You know, the facts are I'm not getting some of the challenging work, but the identity piece, you know, her questioning, am I going to be viewed as a team player if I say no? Am I going to have the same relationship with this boss? Will they perceive it as me challenging them or stepping outside of the cultural norm? And once we gained that deeper insight, did some work on in growing some of her emotional intelligence around practicing greater self-regards, practicing more self-reliance and assertion. She was able to have that difficult conversation. And I'll tell you, we we celebrated when she yeah. said, 
So what you describe, for lack of a better description, she was allowing herself to be dumped on. Yeah. And it was causing her distress in, in the workplace. And so through the use of this particular dimension of emotional intelligence, you helped her manage that a different way. It's also interesting that you identified the source of her discomfort. In other words, part of this is getting to the root of why is she having difficulty communicating with people and just saying no? Yeah. And to get to that root is really helpful for her because she understands, oh, that's why I do that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that turning the flashlight on you and doing that work of growing your self-awareness. That's why for me, all of these C's, you know, have a standalone element. They offer a micro shift in some behaviors that we can use to create some habits that help us show up with more insight about ourselves, more capacity to have better relationships. But it starts with, you know, knowing ourselves always. You've been listening to Today's Workplace with Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future updates and episodes. For more information about today's episode, check out todaysworkplace.com. That's T-O-D-A-Y-S-W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E dot com.